As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. So the Arsenal return to competitive action this weekend when they face Manchester City in the Community Shield. And we'll be talking all things pre-season. David Raya and looking ahead to the game on Sunday. I'm joined by Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> nice to see you both. Well, I can't. I can't see your chin at the moment, Stony. I can. I, I can see you, but not your chin. <laughs> I like the. I like the fact that you did that as a singular as opposed to a plural. I really appreciate that. At my age, that, I'll take that as a win. Arsene Wenger was at the game last night. We played Monaco. His statue was unveiled a few days ago outside the Emirates. We happy with the pose, by the way, guys. Before we we, we did talk about it, but it looks good, didn't it? Really? Amy, did you actually see it? Did were you there? I did, I did. I, I first saw it when it was covered in like removal van blankets, actually. I popped down to have a look when it was being sort of slowly lowered from the crane, but you could sort of see the shape of it and then sort of popped home and a little later, you know, apparently the great unveiling was just a couple of builders ripping off the, the blankets. So yeah. it wasn't massively ceremonial, which is... Not quite what I was expecting, but I think it looks fantastic. And I uh, swung by after the game last night against Monaco and there was almost a queue of fans who were there to have a look and admire it and take pictures and take selfies. And it's overdue. It looks great. It's fantastic to have it there. The little garden that's behind it is a lovely touch. I think that really makes it special in a way that it needed to be. I think somehow it it wasn't right for it to be just another statue at this point. Um, and that gives it a certain sort of touch of Wengerism because he would, I think, be very happy with the with the trees and the garden in that kind of when he made the training ground and all the zen and the waterfall that you could see when you were in the gym. And he's very proud of the number of trees that they planted when they built the new training ground. I mean, it's in the kind of many hundreds of thousands and... So yeah, that kind of 
I think adds a certain je ne sais quoi. Beautiful. It's a good pose. It lo- it's, a, it's a nice statue. It looks like him, which is always a good start with with the statue. Um, and, and I would echo Amy's <laughs> thoughts on, on the garden area and stuff. I think that's fantastic. I actually still haven't seen it in the flesh. I, it was pouring with rain when I arrived at the game last night. Um, and yeah, after the game, I just didn't have time. So yeah, no, that's on my sort of to-do list to go and have a little look. Arsenal v Monaco, obviously the perfect fixture to celebrate the great man. Uh, so we thought we'd ask, um, if you were a guest of honour at the Emirates, who would you like Arsenal to face and why? Adrian, I'll come to you first. <laughs> From an Arsenal perspective, it probably should be Arsenal v QPR because both of my debuts were against QPR. Um, I come on a sub uh, in a game in 1994, the one where John Jensen scored. And then I made my full debut, my first start against uh, the Hoops on Boxing Day 95. So it should be that, but I would personally prefer it if it was Arsenal versus Southend United, another of my former clubs. And a bonus would be if all the proceeds went to Southend United because they need it at the moment. They are a club in absolute crisis and there's a very real threat at the moment and a fear that they they could become extinct anytime soon because the owner will not sell up as it stands. So yeah, it's bad times at Southend. So yeah, if they can arrange a game, um, that would be fantastic. And yeah, happy to be uh, one of the guests of honour. Well said, Clark. Yeah, there's so many clubs. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk, we, we're up here in the... Uh, you know, the upper reaches of the Premier League and how much fun it is and the money we're spending. But we know how, how tough it is for clubs uh, further down the pyramid. Amy, what about you? Guest of honour at the Emirates. Please welcome Amy Lawrence. And who's, <laughs> it's only a matter of time, uh, isn't it? Amy, Let's Amy, <laughs> Amy. And, and who's, um, uh, who, who are we playing? I've got to stop laughing enough to actually answer. <laughs> I would go Arsenal current v Arsenal past. Mm. That would be my favourite match of choice. Uh, I always find it a thrill to see um, players of uh, you know of golden times. And I don't really care if they can't run as fast, and you could even mix it up or whatever. But in that kind of um, charity game that you see with I don't know the, the, the sidemen and so on, or, or soccer raid, and it's it'd be more my dream would be to see some epic legends back out in the red and white Eagle uh, stepping off indeed whatever shade of a way <laughs> kit we've got going on um yeah. just to appreciate the, the you know the full sort of historic impact of time loving the club yeah i, I would have um west ham personally because they were the first team i ever saw the first game i ever went to was at west ham when i was six years old and sat on the cinder track around the outside. Bobby Moore came over and picked up the ball. And I admired his legs from about two foot away. <laughs> the World Cup winning legs. And uh, I've always had a soft spot for him. Not that I want to particularly profess soft spots for other teams on this podcast. But I always have. And I think if I was the guest of honour, uh, Arsenal West Ham would suit me fine. Um Anyone but Tottenham, essentially. Amy, you were in the United States, I believe, the pre-season tour, or certainly some of it. How was your time across the pond? I mean, I mean, I, I read a fair few pieces about it. I watched some of the games. Huge support over there now. I mean, really, with the, with the May United game was sort of 50-50. And when you think how long United have been courting the American support, and now... I mean, we've caught up, really. We have a we have a large fan base over there. 
I found it really striking. I mean, I was I just happened to be there. I was on a busman's as, as such when we took in the game in New Jersey. And what was interesting is having been to a game in San Jose about mm. five years ago, the, the difference was so striking. San Jose, five years ago, I, I don't know, the, the capacity of the ground was probably about 30 or 1,000. It wasn't a massive stadium. And I would say the vast majority of people there didn't appear to have an obvious allegiance. And outside the ground in New Jersey, which holds 82,500 and is a substantial piece of football architecture, I was just completely blown away by the different vibe. And this was a serious football-supporting occasion. And there were not, I don't think, that many people who would I'd got tickets or bothered to rock up who didn't have a vested interest. And it felt like almost everybody had either an Arsenal United shirt on of many vintages. You know, it wasn't all Johnny Come Lately's at all. And these were proper fans in the main who had excellent knowledge and who were wholly invested. And it just, I think it was that scale of change in the last five years that really caught my imagination there was music, there was sort of fun things to do. They were giving away, like, you know, tote bags and stickers to kids and what have you from a kind of big fan. And the Gold Invincible Trophy was there, which was kind of amazing to me. It added to this sense of the club consciously saying, right, we're here and we're not Americanizing Arsenal for you. We're bringing authenticity. what Arsenal stands for it's out to you. It's authenticity, what you're talking yeah. about. And I think that was really appreciated by the, the, the fans. And just being, and particularly there was this blog, block party yeah. in New York and it was proper buzzing, you know, and it felt like being in, in N5 or N7 and around one of the local pubs before or after a match. And to see uh, with your own eyes the kind of scale of commitment to the club from people in America, and I mean all over America, and I mean outside America, there was quite a lot of Canadians that travelled down, that's not a short journey. People that were, had come from different countries, because that was probably their easiest access point to see the club. So yeah, it was it was uplifting, um, and you, you can recognise how much it means. And I think there was a, a quote going around that said something like 22% of Arsenal's marketing now is American. Uh, or or, or, or uh, income from marketing or commercial. That's a pretty heavyweight percentage from one country in another continent. Adrian, aside from that sense of community that Amy's talking about, the money helps, doesn't it? It just into we just turned out we just spent two hundred million quid. A large some of that will come from all those American fans buying Arsenal shirts and buying Arsenal yeah, merch. Do. Yeah, no, you've yeah, you got to look after your supporters wherever they are in the world, haven't you? Um, yeah, it's it was amazing. It really was to see. Obviously, the the MLS All Star Game in uh, Washington DC. I mean, most of the fans in that stadium looked like they were Arsenal fans, didn't it? Which was which was yeah. brilliant to see. Yeah, I think it would have blown the players' minds a little bit as well, and and that doesn't do any harm, you know. Just just to make the, just to you know send in a little reminder that that we are a global club, the Arsenal, and and it's a pretty big deal to wear the badge, and there's a lot of people all over the world that that really care about what they do each week. So so yeah, no, it was it was good too. Obviously, it was a shame that Man United game 
wasn't the best performance, but I mean, they did they did kick us <laughs> off the park that day, didn't they? I mean, that yeah, all those fouls, thirty-seven fouls. I was reading. It seems a bit much, it really. Was brutal. But well, let, let me, let's talk about these these preseason games as a whole. Really, yesterday uh, you were at the uh, the game at the Emirates. Arsenal won, Monaco won, Arsenal won on penalties. Um, starting lineup of Ramsdale, Timber, Saliba, Kivior, Tomiyasu, Partey, Rice, Smith, Roviera, Martinelli, and Enketia and pretty much the whole subs bench got on in the second half, didn't they? We won the Emirates Cup for the seventh time. Not the most convincing display. Adrian, does it matter? I mean, obviously it does matter, but at the same time, I've seen Arsenal be absolutely amazing pre-season and it hasn't worked out for us during the season. I'd rather it was the other way around, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, it doesn't really matter, but... You probably look at last year's pre-season, obviously we spanked Sevilla and we were we just ripped everybody apart last summer and then we took that into the season. So you, you can look back at that and say, well, it really did matter because we built towards that fast start that sort of teed us up for the title challenge. This time around, we haven't been quite as impressive. I think that is clear to see. But I also think the big caveat there is is that Mikel is very much experimenting. He's looking at new connections. He's blooding these players, and he's just he at no point really have we seen his you know the team that that might take to the field against Nottingham Forest. And I think that's part of the grand plan. That's part the next part of the process. And I think we talked about this or touched on it last year. Um, last year we did four three three amazingly. Everyone knew what it was going to be. But they, they found it difficult to stop us until towards the end of the season when we, we hit a bit of a wall. This time around, I, I just get the feeling that we're going to mix it up a little bit more. There'll be more variety, a lot more unpredictability about our, our not our style of play, about our shape and about maybe team selection. So I think pre-season is reflecting that. Amy? Adrian, I was just wondering what you think about whether there's something in the kind of... Um, overall picture of when you have breaks and how you keep going and start again and things like that because if you think about it for it's been a long time really since there's been what you would call a sort of proper summer break plus you're coming off the back of this season where there was the world cup in the middle and it was a slightly elongated peculiar season in terms of you know tempo and so on but when you have a World Cup summer, obviously the, the they played through the summer in 2020 when it was COVID. Uh, 2021, they had the Euros that should have been the year before. And, you know, it feels a bit like uh, slightly odd to have this sort of like, I don't know whether it's affected the, you know, sometimes when you, when you stop, your adrenaline really kind of takes a proper break for the first time in ages and it takes a little bit longer to to get going. And I don't know whether that's, part of it but it does feel like it feels like footballers have been on the go for about five years I mean that's a slight exaggeration but you know what I mean and then they've actually had something resembling a proper break most of them for the first time now yeah yeah but yeah well hopefully we'll see the benefits of it it's I think Mikel's will will be looking for this team not to be peaking in August and September, no. but maybe peak towards April and May like Manchester City. And it's been a different vibe on pre-season. I, I get the Frimmy. I saw Frimmy who works for Arsenal. He went on tour. You know, he's a hype man. He's a great, he's a great guy. And we spoke to him before the match last night in the breakdown live. And 
And, and I just said, look, you're in the inner sanctum. Come on, give us what, what you got in terms of, of the mood, what it's like, what the, you know, how the players are gelling. And he, he says he feels something special is, is there between the players. He thinks it's possibly even better than it was this time last year when they went on tour in terms of the, you know, the connection between the players. So I, I don't think we have anything to worry about there. It's just a case of sharpening up, isn't it? And I think the Monaco game showcased the fact that we're not sharp at the moment. I think the players are doing quite heavy training, I would imagine, in and around the games. And um, yeah, it just looked a little bit sluggish. We didn't we didn't play any fast football. And, and Arsenal really are about fast attacking football. That's when we're at our most effective. And we didn't see loads of that in this game. And from the highlights, which I watched last night, there seemed to be a lot of occasions when Monaco were breaking on us. So some of the connections in terms of the the different aspects of the different elements of the team are not quite working yet. But again, Adrian, this is all part of pre-season, right? This is what you work on. We started with one of our first choice defence. So that that makes a difference, doesn't it? That was just William Saliba. Rice and Partey played together for the, you know, is it the first time? Maybe they they spent some time on the pitch together in New, New Jersey. I'm not quite sure, but first time, um, it? it was kind of like a midfield too for a lot of the game. I mean, Rice popped up on the left a lot, um, so he was left of centre, and he he did a couple of brilliant little one twos with Martinelli and whipped the ball across the face of goal. That was excellent. He almost scored a goal. He denied by it's a wonderful first touch just to break past the line. And then it was a stunning tackle that, that thwarted defender. his goal. But but yeah, Rice and Partey, that seeing them together in the same team was pretty exciting actually. And I think that they are once they get fully fit, and it's, it's clear that Declan Rice in particular is not fully fit at the moment. He's he's not had a lot of action. Um, that they're, they're going to be dynamite. And yeah, um, yeah I I think. Um, it might be a case that we see more of a four-two-three-one this season that springs into a four-one-four-one, if you know what I mean, where Rice or Partey go and join in with Erdegaard. That's how I see it. And obviously Havertz and, and Trossard and guys like that will come into the equation for, for that position too. But um, yeah, yeah, it was nice to see those two on the pitch together. Amy, Leandro Trossard, I mean, he came in, it was very much... You know, we wanted Mikhailo Mudrik. It didn't work out. Leandro Trossard came in. He was really good in pre-season. I mean, I, I, you know, we're thinking that with Gabriel Jesus out for a few weeks, Leandro Trossard is probably going to start. I mean, we can get into the starting lineup, but let's just talk about him briefly. He He's looked sharp, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. And um, I think it's interesting with a player like that, that sometimes when you have that versatility, you just get assessed a little bit differently because, you know, when you when you think about a Saka or Martinelli, for example, you know, you have an idea in your head of exactly where they play and what they're going to do. And yes, they can play elsewhere, but they have become so kind of wedded to the positions that we see them excel in that it's a lot easier to picture exactly where they are in the team at all times. Whereas I don't think that's quite happened for Trossard because he's played all across so many positions, uh, you know, in terms of the attacking phase. But he looks happy in a lot of these positions, doesn't he? I know, but I wonder whether he he kind of needs or it would benefit him to be like, OK, this is what you're doing for a while. And OK, if we need you to do something else, we know you can do it. But I mean, I was thinking about the centre forward position yesterday. As and we all almost were. felt like, <laughs> yeah, and almost felt like, you know, Clarkie, we could just 
we could just go back to a podcast from a year ago and cut and paste, you know, where everybody was quite excited about the business had been done, but we, we still had this nagging feeling like another centre forward, like, you know, would be really helpful. And I just think, go, you know, we're about, about to start the season, as you say, without the, the first choice centre forward, who is a centre forward who goes all over the place anyway. <laughs> and I still find myself having that same thought in the back of my mind, which is, I would like to have someone who can really put themselves as that focal point of attack. And you look around all the other teams and see how they have brought in or are bringing in, you know, that type of option of more of a target man forward to sort of be the top point of the of the game and the structure of the team. And it still feels like, okay, Who's going to do that? And, and and on that, by the way, one of the features of the last few games, like certainly the last two games, is the way the midfield have sort of split. And Aaron Ramsdale has been asked to drill passes down the middle to the centre forward. And we saw that for one of the goals, didn't we, against Barcelona? <laughs> None of them really fit the bill in terms of being that target man person, do they? I mean, Havertz can do it, of course, but um, yeah, don't, but don't Adrian, want to play him. Then. Adrian, it's about... It's about unpredictability. It's what you said at the start of this conversation. And who knows what Arsenal will be doing. Yeah. And and one of the things that really struck me about the Barca game was that Jesus, who was sensational that game, was very often not at centre-forward. And it was either Havertz or Trossard or, or one of the others. So it doesn't really matter, actually, who we use. So, yeah, I think Trossard's got a great chance, actually, um, of, of starting there maybe against City. And, and potentially against Nottingham Forest as well. I mean, Eddie, Eddie yeah. did score and probably should have had a second if Trossard had squared it to him from that sort of 1v1. Um, so we shouldn't ignore that. And, Ed, and, and Eddie, I thought, played played okay. He played pretty well in that first half. So, yeah, we shouldn't be dismissive of his chances. But, yeah, we do feel stretched, don't we? <laughs> One injury and, and we do feel a little bit stretched in that department. Well... All right. I mean, look, we will. <laughs> I think we've all agreed we have strengthened. And when I say who knows what Arsenal will do in the coming season, hopefully Mikel Arteta and the boys do actually know. And we haven't even mentioned, by the way, Flo Balligan, um, who is still an Arsenal player at the moment. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take a break. After the break, we'll talk about a potential signing at the other end of the field as well. This is Handbrake Off. The Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark here on the Athletics Arsenal podcast handbrake off. This week, David Ornstein broke the news that Arsenal are interested in the Brentford goalkeeper David Raya, the Arsenal goalkeeping coach in Naki Kanya. is ex-Brentford, a long-time admirer of David Raya. I mean, I was with Tayo the other day. I was at the cricket, actually, and uh, he looked at me when this news broke and he went, oh, ruthless. Uh, Amy, it is ruthless, isn't it? But... It's a squad game and we want pressure all over the pitch. And I think Aaron Ramsdale was probably the least pressurised member of the entire squad. Not if David Raya turns up. Yeah, it's just a curious one. First of all, I think it's all highly speculative until Arsenal find some more money. So I think if the sales are not forthcoming, I'd be surprised if that happens. It reminds me slightly of when, uh, going back a bit of time, when uh, uh, George Graham bought David Seaman and John Lukic, um, uh, to the younger listeners, was a very popular goalkeeper who had been there for a long time and nobody thought there was anything remotely wrong with him. And Arsenal had just won the title with Lukey in goal and he was an integral part of everything. And a year later... George Graham went in for David Seaman and people didn't understand it. And the fans were quite, they were kind of almost protesting um, because they felt their guy had been uh, you know, shunted out for a reason they didn't understand. And I, I just remember George Graham just, you know, the reason it was like, he's a better keeper, right? end of conversation. Now, if that's what the Arsenal powers that be think, then... It is ruthless and they're trying to, you know, make the best possible team they can to be as, as ambitious and competitive as they can. I don't suppose that they would be the two goalkeepers for very long if he did arrive, because I think it's very hard to sustain two top-level keepers at that kind of age um, over a long period. And I I wonder whether there's a bit of knock-on effect that, you know, there's been such good vibes within the camp and are some of the players wondering, oh, why are they doing this to Aaron, you know? I, I don't know what players think, whether they let emotions come into their thinking. Adrian, you tell me. Adrian. Um, but obviously the connection there is important between uh, Inyaki and... 
Raya, and it's not it's you know they, it's someone they wanted mm. before, but yeah, let, I, I'd I'd like to kind of reserve judgment a bit and see how this one plays out before. D- going definitely, there would be that conversation in the dressing room for sure. It's like, blimey, you know, what's going on there? That's not, that's a bit harsh on Aaron. They'll have the same conversations that we we're having because mm. he hasn't really done anything wrong. I think he, he he's been excellent for us, but he he hasn't been pushed. He, he, he doesn't have strong competition for his place. And that can, and it, I'm not saying he's got complacent, but I think it's healthier to be kept on your toes. And unfortunately, I just don't think Matt Turner's ever going to be at that level where no. where he's going to displace Ramsdale on form. Now, you can't really say that about any of the other players out on the pitch. And I know goalkeepers are a little bit different. But the thing is, Mikel wants a happy dressing room, he wants a happy camp, but he also wants to keep players on their toes. And he wants to, you know, remind them that he's the one in charge and, you know, he's driving the team forward. And, you know, the odd ruthless decision here and there is a little bit of a jolt, isn't it, to to, to that environment? And in my experience, that kind of thing can can help take you to that next level, personally. So my, my initial take on this is... It feels harsh on Ramsdale, but the goalkeeping position is the second most important on the field behind a striker for obvious reasons, because, you know, goals are scored inside both boxes. And if something happens to the number one choice goalkeeper, the the, the knock-on effect to our prospects of winning the title, the Champions League winning anything is huge at the moment. I don't think you'll find many Arsenal fans that would disagree with that. So why? <laughs> if we have the money and, you know, we have a buyer for Matt Turner and we can bring in a better goalkeeper and have two really good goalkeepers, then it has to make us stronger. The only the only issue is how's that going to impact morale, you know, the two guys, et cetera, et cetera. But I think for one season, and Amy's touched on this, for one season, you could have Raya and Ramsdale and say to one of them, your Champions League, FA Cup and League Cup and, you know, unless, you know, form dictates. Personally, I would, I would have Ramsdale as the number one at the start because it's his shirt to lose. But um, I understand when people say that Raya would come in above him. Do you want, do you really think that, that uh, uh, you know, when people talk about a cup keeper, do you think the Champions League's included in that? No. I mean, after all this time, no, not normally, I'd have no. thought that, no, you know, normally. that would be a hell of a thing to give over to your alternative goalkeeper. But who knows? It's really, really uh, strange. It's a tough one to get your head around because no other teams are really doing this. I've got some stats, so I might as well share them with you. And, and they're not great for Aaron, I'm afraid. In terms of goals prevented, so this is, you know, expected goals on target compared to actual goals scored, etc. So goals prevented, I think is a good metric. Um, Aaron Ramsdale had minus one last season, so so not great. I mean, a lot of keepers had minus, but... Plenty had plus. David Raya was right near the top, plus 5.9. So he saved, he, he yeah. saved six extra goals. In terms of save accuracy, 77%. Top of all the number ones last season. Uh, Aaron, 68.6%. So it's quite a big difference. And shots inside the box, you know, those real tough ones where you're, you know, having to use your reflexes. Again, he was top of all the regular goalkeepers, David Raya, 71.43%. Aaron was pretty good at 66.67%. So he is second best in all those, what I would describe as key, you know, shot-stopping departments. Just just a quick thing on, you know, the importance of the relationship between a goalkeeper and defenders. 
obviously, if a, a new keeper comes in now, and we're just over a week from the start of the season, when Ramsdale came in, he generated that rapport, you know, almost immediately. And that was something that kind of helped to give him that great start and helped to allow him to show his personality, which was such a bonus for the team. Would that be a sort of an issue or do you just think, okay, if you're the right player, you just go in and you work it out? Yeah, probably the latter. It could be, but it depends. Most goalkeepers have got quite big personalities. They're, they're usually, even if they're quieter than, than someone like Aaron, who's, who I think is naturally quite, you know, a large character, isn't he? Um, David Rea maybe might be quieter, but they always have this authority, the, the very best, don't they? And I think that wouldn't take long to... To, to impact on the players in front. It would be a shock to the squad, no doubt about that. And and any shock to the squad would concern us as supporters, wouldn't it? Because we like the squad, we like the direction they're going in. But every now and again, a jolt like this, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be harmful. I, I just think, would we have a, a stronger squad with Raya? And, and the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, I, I do think, uh, listen, we'll move on, but I think it's interesting, Adrian saying the two most important positions on the pitch are goalkeeper yeah, and centre yeah. forward, both of which <laughs> are a little bit up in the air as a week before, in fact, less than a week before we play uh, Manchester City, um, which we'll get to in a second. I mean, I mean, the last question I was going to ask was about any more transfer business needed, but... It's really about selling, isn't it? At this point, possibly Pepe's moving on, possibly Albert Sambi Laconga as well. I guess we'll bring you the news uh, as it happens. Let's look forward to the Community Shield. Last played the Community Shield in 2020 versus Liverpool. Either of you remember the team, by the way? Very, very different from the <laughs> team that's going out. Uh, who was in goal for us, Adrian? Remember who was in goal for us? In the charity yeah. shield in, I, I against Liverpool? I've got pretty much zero memories of the game. I probably worked on it. I, I wasn't there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a community shield. Nobody cares. I mean, no one Emmy cares. Was in the t- Emmy Martinez probably. Emmy was in goal. Yeah, yeah. Emmy was yeah. in goal. Uh, Amy, try the defence. Any any ideas of the defence? One of the... Two of them are still at the club. Two are still at the club. Or Rob Holding, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Kieran? Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's the other one. And the two are not there. Snappy Dresser. Oh, and, Hector. Uh, Hector. Hector and uh, And uh, better at his last club than at uh, ours. Great free kick that we never saw. No, <laughs> David Lewis. Uh, All right, we're not going to wait. Uh, midfield. Midfield, Adrian. Uh, who was in the midfield? Just left. Well, Jack obviously. has got to be there. He's always there, Yes, of course. Granite was always there. And... Um, Still there, still spreading his smile around the dressing room. We're not going to get many games. <laughs> Magic Mo. <laughs> Magic Mo. And, uh, well, uh, we've also got, well, a left midfielder actually was Ainsley. I'm not sure any of you would have got that. Uh, up front, two of the guys who played yesterday. Saka would have been playing Of course, Bakayo played and he scored yesterday. We scored yesterday. It was the only one who did. Eddie and And that's all right. And the last one was uh, uh, ex-captain and uh, no doubt arrived just before the, yeah. Yeah, just arrived just man, before the game started, I imagine. Um, <laughs> starting 11 for this weekend. Do we have thoughts? I mean... Riot in goal. Stop it, Amy. All right. Rambo's, Rambo's in goal. Um, are we playing our first? I mean, it's it's almost impossible to say, isn't it? But who would we like to play? Who would we like in defence, Adrian? I, I would personally like White, Saliba, Gabriel and Timber. Um, I think that Timber has 
definitely showed enough in pre-season to suggest that he can be a starter. I've loved his attitude. There's no fear there. There's no real sign of sort of edginess or nerves. He's obviously a confident boy. Passes it forward very well. Showed uh, from left back that he can do what Zinni does coming in field. Did it less, but maybe it, it was just as effective because he did it at the right times to, to be that overload person before before moving the ball on. And yeah, he looks snappy, aggressive and confident in the Arsenal shirt. So yeah, I think I would go with him ahead of a Tierney or, or Kivio, given that Zinni's out. So yeah, I think I think Timber. I don't know whether Amy would agree with that. Amy was nodding along Completely there. go along with that. I think it's slightly harsh on Kieran, who was very good yesterday. And, and when, yes. when he came on, you know, just a reminder of that uh, edgy competitiveness that he brings that only he brings in the, in the way that he brings it. And, uh, you know, I think last season I'd almost resigned myself to the fact that he probably was going to get sold and it looks like that might have changed. And I really I'm chuffed if that's the yeah. case because I, yeah. think, I think he deserves more game time and he does bring a kind of, particularly in sort of difficult Premier League away games and so on, where you've got to fight that little bit more I think he brings something others don't have for all the sort of roles in Chenko role and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes you just need someone who's going Proper to defender. fight like hell for every single yeah. ball. Quite. We did, did that in a pre-season friendly more than anyone. So, yeah, but I would go for Timber for this because I think we've got to try the team that we're probably going to open the season with and Timber deserves it. Adrian, are we having um, Rice, Partey and Odegaard as the midfield so. three? Yeah. I mean, if ever there's a game to put Rice and Partey in, it's against City. Um, yes. I, I wouldn't yes. have minded those two in there for both the games in the Premier League last season, if I put it that way. So yeah, let's Quite. let's let's roll with that. I think that would be my first choice midfield against the toughest opposition. And Amy, you nodded again, but and up front, I'm assuming Saka and Martinelli and... I'm having Trossard. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think at the moment Martinelli and, and Saka are, are immovable for the you know the, the, the top games to start. And yes, I think in the absence of Jesus, probably it should be Trossard. So I'm I'm kind of interested. I know that everybody thinks it didn't work at Chelsea, and that's not what he's bought for. But there's a little bit of me that would be interested to see Havertz is that false nine at least tried it you know maybe it would work at Arsenal in the way it didn't work at Chelsea for lots of different reasons the structure of the team who's around him the manager his own confidence etc etc but one of the things that I thought that was noticeable yesterday at the game was appreciating you know at face value in front of your own eyes just quite how big and quite how much presence Rice and Havertz have you know these are two Big upright players who, who they they fill a bit more space on the pitch. If that isn't a stupid thing to say, but you know that's some, sometimes something that Arsenal lacks. And when you look at Man City and indeed lots of other Premier League clubs, I often felt when you kind of half close your eyes and you look at the whole team, that Arsenal did feel a bit smaller than quite a lot of teams last year, particularly Man City, where. You know, even their smaller players seem to have so much strength and bulk that they're like pocket rockets in, in a way. And obviously their big players are just, you know, beasts. So, yeah, that's something I'm not sure I'd do it against Man City, but 
if Jesus is out for a while, it's definitely something I'd like to consider. I, I think it's a great shout. But I, in a way, I think when Martinelli's unavailable, that works better. Because I think that Trossard coming in off the left, rotating with a Havertz and, and an Erdegaard might might be more effective. But, but yeah, I think at some stage we'll definitely get to see him up front as some kind of false nine. And I'm, I'm for that. It's fine. Liking the options, by the way. Liking the options. Also, by the way, I saw an, um, an article that Jorginho uh, was interviewed in the in the newspaper last week, which is well worth a read because he sounds like a really cool guy talking about modern football and the pressure. Uh, and there are there is some serious pressure now. We'll be going back to our usual two shows a week from next week after the Community Shield. So we will see you then. But before we go, let us have a tune. Adrian, what have you got for us? I think right now it's just about connections. That was the word that I, that sort of on the sort of on my lips right now. It's about building connections between the new players and the, and the, the old ones, and just finding the finding the best team and the best chemistry, really. So yeah, connections is the word. And that's the name of the song uh, by One Republic. Yeah, band I quite like. So yeah, um, yeah, connections by One Republic, please. I'm so lonely. Okay, I'm having to apply some pressure for Maximo Park because of the David Raya thing possibly coming in and applying some pressure to Rambo. I thought, yeah, that'll do. I like to wait, see how things turn out. If you apply some pressure, I like to wait and see how things turn out. If you apply some pressure. Amy, what about you? New season, I'm going to go with a new order track from an album called Technique and it's a song called All The Way hoping that this season has that little bit extra Three, three elements of that song choice, Dickerbox. Well, <laughs> next week, uh, we'll talk about what our hopes are for the season, our predictions, perhaps. Um, that's it for Handbreak Off. Thanks for listening. If you're up in Edinburgh, come and say hello. Um, I'm here every day until August so I'll be watching from afar but Adrian and Amy will be at the games thanks to Adrian thanks to uh, Amy thanks to Jay our producer and thank you for listening this has been Handbrake Off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic See you.